Welcome to People's Church. Before we get to this week's message with Pastor Tom Murray, we want you to know that you matter to your Heavenly Father and you matter to us. People's Church is a multi-generational faith community in Salem, committed to knowing Christ and making Him known. Sunday morning worship services at our Salem campus are at 8.30, 10, and 11.30. Watch messages anytime and plan your visit at peopleschurch.com. We pray this practical biblical teaching is encouraging, challenging, and possibly even life-changing. The New Testament records Jesus telling his followers, his disciples, events that would happen in the world before the end. And the end is the phrase that Jesus used to describe his return. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is returning. And God is so good that in his word, through the words recorded and spoken by Jesus, he tells us what will happen before the end, before Jesus returns. So today we're going to focus on what Jesus said will happen with the advancement of the kingdom before the end. Jesus said before the end, the gospel will be preached to the nations. And he actually said, and then the end will come. The gospel will be preached to the nations. So as we reach this point in our series, I could think of no one better to speak about the gospel reaching the nations than a missionary from our great people's church missionary family. Now we so appreciate the attorneys who we've been partners with for many years. And even though we've been partners for many years, this is actually their first time with us on campus at People's Church. First time to Oregon also, first time to, for some of the family, first time, they have six children. He'll tell you about that in a second. Uh, so we are thrilled to welcome this missionary family to our church. They have served since the 1990s, beginning in Thailand. And then Nathan and Lisa Turney, along with their family, led a child compassion ministry throughout Asia, reaching more than a dozen nations. And now God has a new assignment for this family. Thank God for new assignments. Uh, he, is, he, God, is sending the Turneys to New Zealand, where they are going to be the first Assemblies of God world missionaries deployed to that secularized nation to plant an international church in the, the city of Auckland. So would you please give your very best People's Church welcome, get on up to your feet, and welcome missionary to New Zealand, Nathan Turney. Thanks, my friend. You can be seated. Good morning. Good morning. What an honor to be here with you. Thank you, Pastor Tom. People's Church, you are legendary in your global impact. So it is such an honor to be a part of your missionary family. I commend you for being a flagship church and sharing God's love with the nations. And Lisa and the kids and I are just delighted to be here with you this morning. I'll give you a little heads up. Uh, this picture is a little misleading because in addition to the four children we have in the picture, we have two adult children also. So we actually have a biological Brady Bunch of, five, uh, five, of three girls and three boys. And I was doing some ministry in northern Thailand, and uh, 
A tiny lady asked me about my family, and when I told her that I had six kids, she gasped and said, six kids? How many wives do you have? Lisa apparently wasn't with me at the time. I said, well, just one. And she retorted, well, is she still living? So the last time I checked. We've had the joy of serving as missionaries in Asia Pacific since the mid-1990s, as Pastor Tom was sharing. First in Thailand, then we led a ministry called Asia's Little Ones that had a lot of engagement throughout the Asia Pacific area, ministering to kids through children's homes, nutrition projects, schools, and medical care, and seeing God do some remarkable things in kids' lives. And now God has us on this crazy new trajectory. Anybody ever been surprised by God? God ever surprised you? He shocked us. He began to speak to our hearts that with a new decade, he had a new direction of ministry for us. But in 2019, when he began to open doors in New Zealand, it was a shock because all of our ministry has been in the undeveloped world. And then in 2019, we'd never been in New Zealand, never been to Australia. God really sovereignly, miraculously began to open doors and, and propel us in that direction where we are now headed to Auckland. We'll be the first Assemblies of God we're missionaries to New Zealand. But we were going to be going to Auckland, the largest city nationwide. There's 5 million people in Auckland. There's 1.6 million. 33% of the population live in that Auckland metroplex area where we will be planting a new multicultural church. Uh, New Zealand, especially Auckland, is extremely ethnically diverse. You have the indigenous Maori, the descendants of the Polynesian explorers that found that island 700 years ago. You have a large Islander community that have immigrated from all over Pacific Oceania, Samoan, Fijian, Tongan, Marshallese, just a whole collection of island folks that are there. You have a large population of Asians that have immigrated from all over Asia Pacific, Filipinos, Thailand, from Thais, mainland China, Cambodian, Indonesian, the whole gamut are there. But interestingly enough, since it was a British colony from 1840 to the mid-1900s, the majority of the people in New Zealand are actually, 60% are of European descent, which is why they have followed the same spiritual trajectory that Europe has, where Christianity was prominent in their past, but today secular atheism is the driving dominant ideology. Now we know that secularism attempts to extract God out of the equation of life, but this comes at a high cost. New Zealand has very high rates of alcoholism and substance abuse. Of developed nations, they are ranked number one for domestic violence and sexual violence. Of developed nations, they have one of the highest teen suicide rates, twice that of the United States. So you can be surrounded by beautiful views and vistas, which New Zealand is well known for, but it will never fill the God-sized void in your heart. But God steps down into broken humanity to bring healing, hope, and restoration. Can you say amen to that? God is still on the scene working, putting the shattered pieces of broken lives back together, miraculously transforming, changing trajectories. And we've had the joy of seeing that over and over again over the years, really having a front row seat of seeing some of the miraculous work of God in bringing healing, hope, and restoration Families like Garde and his family. On the southern island of Mindanao in the Philippines, we were working with a nutrition project uh, that was an inroad into the community with plans to plant a church. 
But the first engagement and connection was to minister to some of the felt needs. And the way the project worked is at the nutrition site, five days a week, we had a nurse on site where parents would bring their malnourished kids to the center and the kids would receive a daily nourishing meal, vitamins, medical care. The parents would receive health classes. And most importantly, they'd have the opportunity to hear about God's love and and the gospel and and God's transformational work. And Gardy and his family were a part of this community, and their lives were just coming apart at the seams. And the reason for that was Gardy was a drug addict. Any money that he would acquire, he would squander in his substance abuse, and it would just laying waste and devastation in his family. His wife, despondent, hopeless, you can imagine the situation. His kids, severely malnourished. When his wife heard about the nutrition center, she decided, hey, this might be some answer to some of the problems we were facing. So she brought her two young children to the center. They were introduced into the program, began to receive that daily care. And over the weeks that they were part of that ministry, as Gardy's wife began to see this physical transformation taking place within her, her kids, her heart just began to open. You can imagine for a mother's heart. And as she heard about God's love and message of hope, she surrendered her life to Christ and God began to change the landscape of their lives. Gardy began to see a change in his family, dramatic, with his kids physically, with his wife, something else he couldn't even explain. He didn't know what was going on, but out of curiosity, he began to attend some of the meetings and while he was there, and he heard about God's love and God's forgiveness. His heart was captivated. He surrendered his life to Christ. And it doesn't always happen this way, but when he placed his faith in the Lord, God miraculously, instantaneously delivered him of his drug addiction. And today, celebrate God's work. Today, guarding his family, are members of their local church, in vibrant testimony of God's transformational power in their community, Because for them, the Holy Spirit brought healing to their hearts, their health, and their home. Have you know that's what God does? He puts the broken pieces of lives that have been shattered back together miraculously. And that brings us to Matthew 24, 14. God's transformational work. God's activity in humanity. The first verses, if you've been studying through the last couple of weeks with Pastor Tom, the signs of the time, all this disruption, wars and rumors of wars, famines and earthquakes, apostasy, false prophets, lawlessness, disturbing events that Jesus indicates are signs. He calls them birth pains. They are leading indicators that give us a framework knowing where we are on the trajectory of the timeline of the times. But then he comes to verse number 14, leading up to all these disturbing events. But then in verse number 14, he then opens this door of hope, this message of good news. And to remind ourselves of the verse here, verse 24, 14, Jesus says, And this gospel, which means good news, of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony, a proclamation, a promise to all nations. And then the end will come. 
All these other signs are peripheral events. The main focus, the main event is God's work of redemption and transformation in humanity through all nations, every tribe, every tongue. We realize that God's love for broken humanity and God's desire for his work of redemption is what is delaying the end. God is holding back his hand of judgment because of his desire for as many as possible to be restored to the family. Isn't that amazing? God's love. God's depth, the breath and the depth of God's love. In Luke 15, Jesus takes a deep dive to unpack for us the depth of God's love. And it's a familiar passage of Scripture. When you turn there, you'll immediately recognize that the entire chapter contains three familiar parables. The parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, or the prodigal son, as we call it sometimes, where Jesus takes an extensive amount of time in this teaching session to help us to grasp the depth of God's love for lost humanity. Now, to refresh our memories, let's look at verse number three here where Jesus launches into the first parable where he says, And he, Jesus, told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Verse 7, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Let's go ahead and read the next parable just to remind ourselves of the story because it is a parallel parable, so many similarities. Verse number 8, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Verse 10. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, how many of you ever lost something before? Anybody lose their wallets? Your keys? Your kids? Your minds? We've all lost things. This common human experience. It's fascinating, these two parables, these two parallel parables. Jesus takes the time to do something that he has not done, at least not recorded in any other Gospels. He shares one story in parable to, to connect with the men, the parable of the lost sheep he talks about in what man. And then he respins and reframes the second parable, focusing on the ladies or what woman, and then begins to talk about the coins. Fascinating. So significant is this spiritual truth that Jesus is wanting to drive home to his audience and to us 
that Jesus takes the time to communicate it so that everyone in the audience connects and comprehends. Now, we've talked about that. We've all had this common experience of losing things. You know, many times the things that we lose, it's an inconvenience, it's an irritation, but that's about as far as it goes. A pair of gloves, an umbrella, we're not happy about it. As we go about our daily activity, we'll casually look around, but if we don't find it, we're going to put it on the shopping list, and next time we're at the store, we're going to replace it. But there are other items, when you lose them, it's a totally different story. You get that hollow feeling in the gut. You break out in that cold sweat. Your mind begins to race. You begin to panic, think, where did I drop it? Where did I lose it? You'll spend hours retracing your steps, tearing the house apart, thinking, where did I possibly, where did it slip out of my hands? A wedding ring? A check of sizable amount? An heirloom item passed down from generations that has significant sentimental value. How many of you have lost something like that before? The value of the item drives the diligence and the desperation of the search. And that's what Jesus is talking about in these parables. They knew the value of that sheep and the coin. And Jesus used that as a connection point to communicate. This is heaven's perspective on us, on lost humanity. That when the God of the universe who created, who spun the stars into existence, when he looks down upon creation, we are the object of his affection. We are what he places the highest price tag upon. It's hard to wrap our heads around. And sometimes when we contemplate this, we can't help but think, surely that doesn't mean those individuals, because we have categories of individuals that we group because of their mistakes, because of their sin, because of the evil they've been involved with, we think surely they're disqualified. Or we might wake up in the morning and look in the mirror and we think about our own missteps in life and we think, surely that doesn't mean me. To address this misperception, Jesus then moves on to the third parable, these nonstop consecutive teaching session, one parable after another. The last parable, the parable of the lost son. You probably remember the story. There were two sons. The younger comes to the father, asking for his inheritance. The father graciously gives it. Shocking request. He then proceeds to go off to a distant land, spending every dollar, every dime. Jesus says in verse 13, through wild and riotous living. He gives us this picture of this prominent, prosperous Jewish young boy who throws off all moral restraint in his pursuits of pleasure and passion, and then he finds himself at the end of his rope, hitting the bottom of the barrel, rock bottom. He's destitute, desperate, a famine strikes the land, and he hires on, you remember the story, as a farmhand tending pigs, this shocking development of this riches-to-rag story. In the first two parables, the animal was lost, animal ignorance, the coin lost unintentionally, but here in the parable of the lost son, his actions were planned and executed. He's not in this condition because of a series of unfortunate events outside of his control, but because of his own poor choices. And he is morally bankrupt, 
physically and emotionally destitute. And then Jesus turns it into this amazing story of redemption and restoration. Pick up the story with me, if you would, in verse number 20. Jesus says, and he, the younger son, arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Complete forgiveness, an immediate reinstatement and restoration as a son, as an heir where Jesus communicates that even in our wanderings, we can never walk beyond the boundaries of God's love. Can you say amen to that? The Father is waiting with open arms, regardless of the broken condition of our lives, through forgiveness and faith as we place them in him, he reinstates us right back into the family and puts our feet on a path of hope and life. Now, when you look at the parables, you see that Jesus is moving with intent and progression. He starts with one of a hundred sheep, then he moves to one of ten coins, then he concludes with one of two sons. And as the ratio diminishes, the intensity of his message increases. And in each of the stories, the focus is always one. So much effort, so much concern for one. God really drove this point home to us back in the mid-1990s when we started at his brand new missionaries in Thailand. We had just arrived in the capital city, Bangkok, city of 15 million people at the, at the time. And some missionary colleagues of ours invited us to stay in, in a spare bedroom they had in their apartment those first few days while we were getting settled into the city. And this particular day, I was traveling down into the heart of Bangkok to register us for language school. We didn't have a vehicle yet, so I was using the public transportation options that were there, and they had a whole variety of them from buses to boats to motorcycles, quite a collection. And I had traveled down and had made it to the language school, had registered us, which we would begin in a couple of weeks, and I was on my way back and I was sitting on this public bus with this big paper map out in front of me. How do you remember those paper map days? For the younger generation over here, it's this large sheet of paper, folds up nice and tight, and there's streets on it. You find where you are, where you want to go, and you navigate your own route. Got to go to a museum now to see it. I had this big paper map out in front of me. Big city. I felt somebody slip up next to me on the bus seat and ask me in excellent English, which got my attention, are you lost? I said, I don't, I don't think so. And I looked over. It was this Thai gentleman, early, mid-30s. 
He introduced himself as City Pong. We talked a little bit, and I could see that my stop was approaching where I was going to have to get off to get onto another bus. I said, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to get off here in, in just a minute. He goes, well, can I have your phone number? I said, sure. So I jotted down the phone number of the missionary friends that we were staying with. Remember back in the day when telephones were attached to the wall? Paper maps back in the wagon train days. And I gave him that number, got off the bus, went on my way, really didn't think much about the, the meeting. A couple weeks went by, and we got settled into the city, started language school, getting acclimated to the new culture. And our missionary friends that we'd stayed with those first few days invited us back over to their apartment for dinner, and we're sitting around their living room just having a great time of fellowship when the telephone rang. And to my surprise, my missionary colleague said, hey, Nate, it's for you. And I picked up the receiver thinking, I don't know anybody in this city. And as you guess, it was City Pong. We talked for a little bit, and he asked if we could meet. So a couple days later, I found myself back down in the heart of Bangkok, sitting across from City Pong, this little roadside Thai cafe. Anybody like Thai food here? Friends, I don't know what all is going to be, the options on the menu at the marriage supper of the Lamb, but it wouldn't surprise me if there's some Thai food there because it is superb cuisine. I will warn you, though, they do like peppers. So sometimes some of the dishes you eat, it's like a brush fire goes through the taste buds. But after they grow back a couple weeks later, it starts to taste pretty good. And so I'm sitting across from City Pong, eating this hot, spicy Thai soup. My curiosity got the better of me, and I asked him, I said, City Pong, why did you call? He said, a couple of nights before I telephoned you, I had a very disturbing dream. I was out in the Gulf of Thailand, out in the ocean, and a violent storm was brewing. The wind was blowing so strong, the waves were crashing. I felt at any moment that the boat would capsize and that my life would be lost, and I was gripped with such fear. And for some reason, I don't know why, but your name came back to me in my dream, and I was calling out your name, and when I woke up, I knew I had to give you a call. And when he recounted his dream to me, boy, the Holy Spirit just stirred in my heart. I said, you know, City Pong, when we met on that bus a few weeks back, it was not by chance, but rather God in heaven, our creator, set up a divine appointment that we might meet so I could share one very important thing with you. He loves you. He sent his son to die for you that you might be restored to him. In a city of 15 million people, using somebody who at the time could only speak but just a few words of Thai, God set up a divine appointment for one. For one. And somehow God is able to look at the mass of humanity around our globe, whether it be Bangkok, Thailand, whether it be Auckland, New Zealand, whether it be Salem, Oregon. God is able to see one. Nowhere else in the Gospels will you find these parables recorded, except in Matthew 18 you'll find the parable of the lost sheep. And Matthew concludes that parable with Jesus saying these words in verse 14, My Father in heaven is not willing that one should perish. Not one. 
the depth of God's love for lost, broken humanity. And Jesus shares these compelling, powerful parables to unpack for us the greatness of God's love so that we, that our hearts might embrace it. And like that younger son, we might step into the arms of the father to be reinstated and restored to the family. But you'll probably remember that that parable does not end with that amazing reunion. But surprisingly, Jesus then brings the older brother onto the scene. And when he steps on the stage, you might recall he's not too happy. He's rather shocked. This younger brother of his who's gone off and squandered the family resources and brought shame to the family name has now been reinstated and restored without any consequence or punishment. This doesn't seem right to him. And Jesus concludes the parable with the father encouraging the older brother to embrace the son. You see, the older brother was a part of the family but he didn't have the heart of the Father. Before I'm too judgmental, I can see how easy it is for myself, for those around us, for how easy it is for us to fall into that same trap that we can be a part of the family but not have the heart of the Father. Jesus shares these parables, not only that our hearts might embrace the love of God, but also that our hearts might echo the love of God. That our hearts might be aligned with his. Because what Jesus is sharing is that once we have been rescued out of the broken emptiness of life, we now have the opportunity to be a part of the rescue mission. Can you say amen to that? God has commissioned us to be the conduits of his love, of his transformation, as we simply share what God has done in us through our own testimony. We're commissioned. The last thing that Jesus shares in Matthew 18, when he concludes his chapter, his book in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, is the amazing commission Jesus gives us. In fact, let's look at it here together where Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Matthew intentionally connects this commission, these last words of instruction that Jesus gave us with the words that Jesus shares in Matthew 24, 18, in the sign of the age. Let's put those two verses together and look at them closely. You'll see the connection. Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. And then Matthew 28, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And behold, 
I am with you always to the end of the age. The intentional connection. Matthew pulls from 24, 14. The pinnacle verse of the signs of the age and then the final instruction that Jesus gives that we as his disciples are the delivery system, the hands and feet of Jesus of hope and restoration for the nations. When we contemplate the verses in Matthew 24, we have the tendency to fixate on the chaos. Friends, can I tell you, don't fixate on the chaos. Rather, focus on Christ and the work of the cross. We're not sure how all this will play out. Life can be bumpy along its journey. But friends, Jesus has given us his promise in Matthew 28 and 20. He is with us always through the end of the age. Our hearts don't have to be full of fear and anxiety that can paralyze us. Doesn't mean that we can't be concerned, but let our focus realizing be that we have the opportunity while the window is still open, that we are the hands and feet of Jesus, that God can use us as powerful tools of transformation. One of the greatest tools of the kingdom is your testimony. What God has done in your life you are a walking representation of a work of grace. And as you step out in boldness to those that you interact with on a daily basis, simply sharing what God has done in your life and praying with people as you have opportunity, you're pointing people to the cross and the hope of Christ. But the amazing thing is we are not prisoners of our proximity, but rather through our prayers and our giving, God can allow us to travel to lands that our feet will never touch. God allows us to have a global impact, to point the way to Christ, to salvation, to redemption. What an honor, what a privilege. God has given us this, not out of a sense of obligation, but rather invitation to be a part of impacting the eternity of those around us and those around the globe. Would you stand with me this morning? And we don't have to be here with heavy hearts as we look at the dysfunction of society around us, as broken humanity is moving toward its breaking point, these are side issues. The main focus is the work of God in humanity, restoring those that are lost back to him and the privilege that we have to be a part of that message of hope to be his disciples, pointing others to Christ and the work of the cross. 
And as we stand here this morning or are watching online, the window of opportunity is still available to us. For those that are like those younger son in the parable of the lost son, friend, if you are at the end of your rope, if you've hit rock bottom because of your mistakes, mistakes and missteps in life, can I tell you all is not lost. Father's waiting with open arms for you to turn to him through repentance and placing your faith in him. He'll restore you back to the family. And for those of us that are in the family, the invitation and opportunity we have is to open our hearts and let the Holy Spirit do his work of harmonizing our hearts with his so that our hearts beat as the Father's, so that what is priceless to heaven becomes precious to us, that he would use us to impact eternity. Let's just bow our heads together. Father, we just stand before you this morning with hearts open, some of us responding you to you for the first time or recommitting ourselves to you because even when we wander, we can never walk beyond your boundaries of your love. And for the rest of us, God, we surrender our hearts to you that you might realign them with yours so that our heart echoes your heart. And we pray with expectancy knowing that there are greater days ahead. You're a victorious king coming soon. And that one day you'll do away with all this evil and dysfunction and brokenness of society. And we will rule and reign with you. But until that day, as you are with us as we walk through life, God, challenge us to take advantage of the opportunities that we have around us and around the globe to see hearts and lives touched and transformed. We pray that this week's message has been practical, encouraging, and challenging. Let us know if you made a first-time commitment or recommitment to following Christ. Visit peopleschurch.com and click Connect to share your decision with us. There is great value in being a part of a Christ-centered, Bible-teaching faith community. If you are looking for a church home, Pastor Tom Murray invites you to People's Church in Salem. Sunday morning and evening worship services, group Bible studies, relevant engaging activities for kids and youth in safe, secure environments. Watch messages anytime or plan your visit at peopleschurch.com.